And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. We appreciate you doing that. Hope you can tune in each week at nine o'clock for We Are Just Christians. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. So in just a moment, I'm going to be giving you the numbers and ways to contact us here. And we can have a conversation about whatever is on your mind. It's a show about spiritual things. Gary Jones, I'm, my name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard, and Gary Jones is my co-host. And so we're here to discuss spiritual matters pertaining. And what well, our view is a Christian worldview. We take the Bible very, very seriously and very specifically, very literally, you might say. Believe we believe it it's a guide. It's it's the guide for us how to live. It is the inspired word of God. Inspired word of God. So that's where we're coming from. But that encompasses a lot of things. And we certainly don't necessarily limit everything we say to just church kind of things, like someone might assume if I say Christian or spiritual, because we believe it encompasses all of life. And so, therefore, we, we talk about a lot of different things, whatever is in the news, uh, whatever is people call in about, whatever is on your mind. People have not only big issues they want to talk about, but personal issues, things that trouble them. Maybe you've had a bad history uh, with Christianity or Christians or the church or something like that or some other kind of problem. We'd be glad to talk with you about that and uh, get your viewpoint. We're here to have a conversation. So you're not it's not a trap, it's not a bait. We're not trying to in, in instigate some kind of an argument. We want to have a conversation. If we agree, we agree. If we don't, you know, we'll say so. We'll try to give you a scripture for the things that we uh, say, or something for you to look up and go home and think about or take, take with you and think about it, should say. So that's the premise of the show, and we're always going to give you, as a caller or texture, the last word. So you can reach We Are Just Christians here this morning live at 772-340-1590. is the call-in number, and we'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, remember, when you do call in, there's about a one-minute delay or a few seconds. I don't know how long it is. Now I forgot what he said. Uh, there's a there's a delay <laughs> enough that makes so, it difficult so that to makes talk. It, yeah sometimes it makes it difficult we talk over you and you talk over us we'll work around that we're not trying to be rude and cut anybody off at all if it sounds like that on the air it's only it's only an accident and not meant to be we're trying not trying to cut anybody off so but uh, we'll take that into account so give us a call and we'll give you the last word as i mentioned so you don't feel like you're being put upon 772-340-1590 we also uh, can be reached by text message, not only uh, during the show, but also any time during the week. You can reach Mike Schmidt at 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is the number to reach. I Me, mean, Gary's number is very similar. 772-260-6220. 260 So, in fact, we already got a text or two this morning, Gary. Uh, I don't think you knew that. that the, just just came in, <laughs> and I didn't say anything to you because we were getting ready to be well, on the you, air. If you've got just a second, I'd like yeah, to go, ask, go ahead. Ask, ask you a question before we get to the text. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been corresponding with a few people about biblical things, and I've got a lot of people that say, well, I read the Bible, and I read it straight through from the very beginning to the very end, just like you read a book. And I got to thinking, is, is that 
I, I don't want to get, give anybody the impression that I'm saying don't read the Bible and don't read it straight through. I'm just thinking, it, is, are there better ways to study the Bible than just reading it straight through from the book? Well, it's possible. There, I think there are. Uh, here, here's the difficult. Here's the intrinsic problem with just starting in Genesis and going to Revelation, is that the order of the books in the English Bibles that 99% of people that you and I know have is not necessarily chronological order at all, and it's different. Has changed over the years. Now, it hasn't changed in many in a few centuries, but it's changed, and so. Uh, even the Jews in the Old Testament, uh, well, even the Jews today who have uh, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the, the order of their books is not the same. So there's nothing, what I'm trying to say is there's nothing divine or magical about the order of the books. Uh, this starts with Genesis because that's the beginning and goes to Exodus and Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy because that those are five books that go together and they are kind of sequential or related but then we then you got a lot of history in the prophets and what the prophets are saying is tied into in, in time to the histories of the kings of Israel King, and kings Judah and chronicles and chronicles yes and, and so you've got it they kind of tie in together the psalms were written in the middle of well before most of the prophets the psalms were written yet they come you know in a different order in many places so you 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 do have some general chronology in that probably Genesis Genesis talks about the oldest things in the universe. Probably Job's one of the oldest books as far as when it happened in time. But then you've got Revelation probably is the last book. Uh, so you, you do have a, that, that, but there are better ways. In fact, when, when people want to start reading the Bible who'd never read it before, I tell them oftentimes you can start with Genesis. It's going to be a, that's the big picture. You're going to have a million questions in the first 11 chapters of Genesis to look at, and you won't be able to know the answers to all of them till you read more. But then I would start them something like uh, in Matthew or even John. I would start them in one of the – or Mark. Actually, I read the other day, and maybe they're right. Uh, Mark might be the simplest and best gospel presentation for a person who knows nothing about the Bible at all. So I would start them in Genesis and one of the gospels personally. And uh, start there, take yourself a piece of paper to pencil or some kind of way to write some notes and uh, jot, just jot down questions as you go along. You don't have to try to answer each one that comes up, but jot down some questions, read a, read a couple of chapters a day or a chapter or two a day, and then you can look at the answers. And that's, that's the way I would start with somebody. Well, that, that sounds good. I, I, me personally, I don't know if that answers your question well, or not. But. Me personally, I have gotten more I think from studying the Bible in topical studies is trying to take a, if I run onto something in the Gospels or in Acts or even in the Old Testament books, take the topic that that question is arranged around and try to look for those things right. using the same words or the same phrases. And you have to have you and sometimes then you're you are dependent upon how a human decides to arrange the topics right. and what you decide to put in there, and that's going to change over time. Uh, I, I read a, I haven't I had this article in my computer for years. I read it a few years, two or three years ago, but it's by a uh, a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. She's a gay woman who was a gay activist of some sort and was converted to Christianity. And um, 
this book is about her, uh, this article, long article, is about her journey, how that happened. An unlikely convert, she calls herself. And it happened, Gary, because as an English professor and a literary critic, uh, she read the Bible in order to dissect it and tear it apart. Uh, and discovered it was hard. And, and it, it had powerful impact on her life and the words they it just she said it, it's just not another book it's not just another book that you pick up right she found that out as she read even very reluctantly but you can look it up rosaria rosaria i'm not sure how you might say it i call it rosaria maybe it's rosaria butterfield fairly well known person in, in many circles and probably hated i'm sure but uh, quite an interesting article. In fact, it's somewhat so deep I had to really struggle with what some of the things she was saying as a as a uh, English what do they call it? Not a literary is word, not word I'm looking for, but a, but a word person. What she said about the Bible was very striking. And what she would say is that she began to try to read it like you're saying, and, and she had to read this and put it aside and let that percolate, you know, go on to go on the next thing. And she put the eventually could put the people pieces together. But what she did come to the conclusion is that it is 66 books, but one book with one idea. OK, that's and, the idea. And virtually one author in even and, and though through the whole numerated yes. authors. Right. And so so it is. And someone just texted in. It's it's one. What is it? Uh, one. What did John get? Sixty-six book combined into one codex. A codex being a book or a group of pages, and and that's true. It is that, and so it's it's very. She just she said it, it's an extremely difficult book. Nothing like she'd ever read before. Uh, the material is because it has every range of human literature that there is almost, from straight history to narratives to poetry, to uh, all kinds of different literature is in the Bible. Yet, and yet. a person has to understand when they're reading it, what they're reading and what that means. Right. Apocalyptic literature, historical literature, right. poetry, all kinds. it's got all that in it. And yet, Mike, I had to come to the conclusion that as I read and tried to understand more and more about it, I got the impression that there was only one author. Right. It, it's got one theme. Uh, and that's the salvation of man. Yeah, right. And and the one that's the one theme. And when you miss that, you miss all the rest of it. Right. But but here's the other thing about it. A lot of people think it's some kind of a reference book that written at the same time for for the same and the same way, so that you can just pick it up, turn to any page, and get something out of it. Uh, that. But you have to understand when you look at any page of the Bible, what's the context of that passage? You've heard the old joke, kind of a joke, but it makes a point of putting different Bible verses together in right. an incorrect way where the scriptures say um, Judas went out and hanged himself. Then you put the next scripture by it, another one, go thou and do likewise. And then you put another one by it that says, and what you do, do quickly. So there you've got three scriptures, direct quotes from the Bible. Randomly. Actually. Randomly put together. And you've got a completely wrong uh, st statement of what's called a biblical fact. And that's not fair to the Bible to put things together like that because that's not how they're written. And, and that's how it's confusing to people. So it shouldn't surprise you that people come 
to different conclusions because we're all on a different place. Well, the some same, people get so, some people get so far along in this journey, they find what they want to think they want to know, and they stop, and they never right. get the rest, and they never really learn. Yeah. Sharon has pointed that you're being out your to wife me a lot of times, and basically, that's the problem: is uh, people look at it and they want they want to find contradictions. And yet, when you understand it as a whole, I don't believe there are any contradictions in it. It's easy to see how those so-called contradictions unravel themselves. Yes. When you begin to see what, in a fair way, what's really being said. Now, this woman was coming. We got a caller on the line, but hang on one second. Sorry, I didn't mean to get. No, that's okay. I just called in. So, Jerry, hang on one second. We'll get right to you. But uh, the um, this woman. Rosaria Butterfield, uh, basically, as a gay activist, had a very antagonistic view of the Bible to begin with, and it took a good while to break it down. And of course, what she also says that was of interest to me, and her her uh, interaction with Christians was very negative for a long time. Then she met another man and his wife, an older pastor, she called him, who was very patient with her didn't attack her. They had conversations about different things. He asked her questions. She asked him questions. And her whole attitude about everything began to change. So there's the power of the gospel, not only in the book, but in the in the person. Well, and the, you can and, read that. Or I, I'll, I'll, yeah. I can give you a link if you want it. Maybe I can find it here where but it was. But it, ta- it, takes, it takes something in the person to do that, too, Mike. I, there had I, to be I, something in her that would respond, didn't there? Yes, there had to be an honesty there that... Uh, a lot of people don't possess, I guess. Yes, and you can tell, <clears throat> you can tell from uh, reading what this woman said uh, that she's an honest person. Uh, I, I got that, uh, I got that idea right away that she was brutally honest. You know, uh, the article is taught called and is called "The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert." Rosaria Butterfield. It's on biblicalcounseling.com, and if anybody's really interested, text me or email me, and I'll send you the link to that. But it's you can probably find it under Rosaria Butterfield, biblicalcounseling.com. It's a complex article, but anyway, the by the way, and Jerry, hang on one more minute. The the numbers to reach us are seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. The text number is three uh, is two six zero. 6120 and the email which I didn't give is just christians at att.net just christians at att.net so how do we get a how do I get from a question on how to read the bible to gay activists uh, anyway I, I don't know how that works except that's what I was reading this week well some sometime I want to answer the question is basically what is a good way to study and what are some of the sources uh-huh. we could use that I think those are <laughs> Good John. subjects, but you know we we, we got to get on to the question. John texted in. Some people close their eyes, pray, and then open a random page and put their finger on it. That, that's called being led by the Holy Spirit. They would say now, he calls it Ouija board, the Ouija board method. That might be all right. Uh, we'll go to the phones. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, thank you, Mike. Come on, Gary. Uh, I was wondering at this time of the year, uh, leading up to the crucial function and Roswell election. Uh, the term, the term stigmata, uh, when somebody's hands bleed on the day, uh, uh, called for crucified. 
And uh, I, I had a stroke about a year ago, so I'm hard to understand uh, the term is stigmata. You know, uh-huh. That's correct. Lead, you know, on that day, uh, the day of the crucial footprint. I'd like to listen to off all, Mark, if that's okay. Is there something particular you want to know about the stigmata? I just, I just want if you could expound on it a little bit and okay. how well it is or how common it is. Uh, and I'd like to listen to off all, Mike. Okay, that'd be great, Jerry. Appreciate you calling in. Uh, I guess that's, uh, I, I think he carries right, the stigmata. The word stigma in Greek is a, the word for a sign, a mark. Uh, there's a couple different words for mark or, or a sign in the Bible, and that's one of them. So if somebody has a stigma attached to them or some idea, it means it's marked out so you notice it, and it's negative, generally speaking. But used in uh, Christianity, in, in, it's in the, the way Jerry's talking about it here, it's the appearance of, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading an article I got here, it's, I'll give you my opinion in just a second. The appearance of bodily wounds, scars, and pain in locations corresponding to the crucifixion wounds of Jesus Christ, such as the hands, the wrists, and the feet. Stigmata are primarily associated with Roman Catholicism. And so this is the – there have been several movies made about it, by the way. Uh, but it, it is something that – Apparently, is a it is the appearance of bodily wounds, and some people say these kinds of things are still um, are still going on. Let me see if I can find something here. The cat, the church, the Catholic Church has never validated a stigmata until quite a bit of time has elapsed since of the death of the stigmatic. In other words. What the encyclopedia is saying, and I would say this is probably true, the verification of this that this is actually happening doesn't happen in real time. Now, my own opinion about the stigmata, what, number one, Jerry, there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that this is a sign. Christ gives signs of his, that his disciples would would carry out or experience after he had left, that would validate the preaching of the apostles. And uh, hang on a moment. It's in the book of it's in the book of uh, Mark, and chapter 16 is one place where you find this. So the Bible gives some signs what you could expect after Christ had risen from the dead that would verify the words that the apostles spoke. Since the Bible had not been written until some years after Christ went back to heaven, 30, 40 years or more before everything was put together, some say even longer than that, there had to be a way for people to verify that what the apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, were saying were actually true, that they weren't just making things up. Is that Mark 16, 17? Yes. And so, you, I, I, so in, in other words, and, and you can read this as second, Gary, but there had to be a way for people to, to know. So what Christ did was he said, I would send the, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you so that before the Bible was completed, when you, when you hear this man speak and it's accompanied by these signs that you can see, stigmata or other versions of the word sign, 
then you'll know that the person is real. It's a real it's a real event. And so he gives some of those verse seven. Uh, read 16 and 17 and Mark 16. OK, let's uh, let's start in 15. Kind of okay, give the context. Sure. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, and they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. You can. All in the context of he's sending them out to teach. And yes, in that context, uh, the way it's used. So he says, here are, the, here are the signs, casting out demons. And these are signs now, the words used there. That's a different word than stigma. That's a semion, which is like what we, what we would call a sign. Uh, so he says that casting out demons, speaking in new languages, take up, taking up serpents, that means poison serpents, and then drinking deadly poison, laying hands on the sick and people recovering. And and so this is the um, that's the meaning of of it. Now this word um, the word stigma is used in the Bible more of like a mark. Uh, it's used in the King James a mark uh, or ownership of something like that. So it's something is put on something. At a, uh, at, I don't I up. don't find that in the Greek text. I don't find that particular word. Maybe I'm missing it. Give me just a second and I'll look. I'll see what I can find. I've got the word here in the Greek dictionary, but I, but I'm trying to find a word. OK, uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter six, verse 17, the only place I can find in the, in the New Testament. And I thought it was only used very rarely. He says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And that's the word uh, stigma. Galatians 6? 6, 6.17. Yes, it's the word stigma. And I that's the only time that I know that the word stigma is used in the Bible, Jerry, uh, is in Mark. So he says he, Paul bore the, what kind of marks was he talking about? Blood on his hands at, and on his feet from the crucifixion or no, he's talking about being beaten and having scars left from being beaten, having broken bones from being stoned. And those marks would be on his body that others could see. So he says to these Galatians who were doubting his apostleship, well, you can look at my body and see that I've suffered for the cause of Christ. That I, I, A phony won't do that. If I was a phony, a pretender, you would not be able to see these marks on my body. But you can. Strong, and so strong that, says a scar of service. Yes, and that's that's kind of what it is. So that's the how the word is used in the Bible. Now I have to admit I have never done a lot of study about this, Jerry, but I, I have little confidence that these are actually miracles that are coming from the Holy Spirit today when someone has this. Uh, here's the problem, and it's one of the reasons people criticize religion, and. Um, a certain kinds of religion, I should say. And that is that religion is can be somewhat of an emotional thing. But if it's primarily emotional, if that's all that there is, or the main element of your religion is your feelings and your emotions, people can get led astray so easily by that. 
the Bible produces emotion when we understand the power of the gospel and what Christ has done for us, for example. But what's really driving that is the idea, is the understanding behind it. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding, Paul says. So we have to have underst- the understanding the tr- of the truth produces emotion. And unfortunately, what a lot of people in, in religion have always done, and even true in modern religion, especially like Pentecostal or charismatic religions, the emotion drives the thinking process. The emotion becomes the engine pulling the train rather than the caboose behind the engine of, the, of understanding. And so the emotions can produce in people all kinds of symptoms, psychosomatic symptoms and other psychological symptoms that can manifest themselves as physical symptoms, our minds and bodies are very close together. Isn't that what? Isn't that yeah. what the word it says? The word the word is powerful in Hebrews four, twelve. Even to the dividing of soul and spirit, you know, the, the soul and the spirit are even them are they are so closely bound up that a person can work themselves. This is the whole problem. Of what we call what people today call tongues, which I don't believe were angelic languages in the bible i believe the tongues the true tongues were actually languages that people just didn't know and they were able to speak in an unknown language to them like me like me speaking chinese or something and you know that i don't know chinese here i start speaking in chinese somebody else who understands chinese is able to interpret that and you can see that god's doing a miracle through me Therefore, you listen to the words I'm saying. That's what the that's what the tongues in the Bible were. They were not complete gibberish like charismatic tongues. This right. is the tongue that Christ was condemning in the Gentiles for their vain repetitions. That vain meaning empty, pointless gibberish, repeating the same words over and over again. This was a heathen thing, and it's even it's an understood psychological phenomenon called ecstatic utterances or ecstatic speech. It's well understood in psychology. People of all different religions can experience these ecstatic utterances. And yet if it was a gift of tongues like the New Testament talked about, it would be something that only Christians with the Holy Spirit could experience. And yet we find this, these ecstatic utterances all over the world. So you can work yourself into an emotional state that you lose control of your speech. And you begin right. to speak in, in gibberish repetitively, and you lose control of your body. You may I've seen this. I've been in services where this was done. People are wandering around the building, walking into walls and pews. Other people are having to – they'll tell – some of the others say, watch them. And so they'll, they'll walk beside them, keep them from falling and tripping over things because they've completely lost control of their body. And they call this the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians – 14 that the spirit is subject to the prophets so in bible in the holy spirit possessing someone the person is still in control of their speech they're able to speak or not to speak they don't lose control of their bodily functions when the holy spirit takes them over but when ecstatic utterances and psychological things happen they do now going back to the stigmata that's how i would explain this people can People in their minds and hearts can produce some very serious effects on their body because of their emotions. And they can convince themselves of a lot of things, and they can change their appearance even and in and, and ways that we don't even know. I mean the uh, Hindu – I don't know what the right word is – yogis or 
Maharishi, whatever. I don't. I'm, I don't want to be demeaning. I don't know <laughs> the right word is, but uh, equivalent to like a rabbi in Hinduism, they they can slow their heart rate down to almost fatal levels that by using were, their I mind. I think that verse you were talking about is First Corinthians fourteen thirty-two. He says, "For yes. you can, for you can all prophesy one by one, and all." may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not the author of confusion but of peace and and I keep coming back to maybe we should point out something here that these things had a purpose and that purpose is basically I think it's revealed about as explicitly as you can get in John 20 verse 30 and 31 talking about the signs that Jesus did and talking about that, he says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's basically the purpose of all of them, I believe. Yes, and he specifically gives you those um, those signs, okay, um, that he... What am I trying to say there? He specifically gives you those miracles, right. that, which are also called signs. Signs, miracles, wonders, they all refer to the same thing, a miraculous or supernatural type of event that could only be ascribed to a supernatural power. That's what they were. So there's um, – well, that's, the, that's the one Bible answer that I could uh, give you. Apparently um, – The first case of stigmata, Jerry, if you're listening, that occurred was the appearance of marks or actual wounds like those that Christ received during his crucifixion was recorded in 1224 A.D., 1200 years after Christ. So now think about how long that 1200. Well, that's almost at Christ. Well, think about that. From What was 1200 years? That's back in the 800s. OK, yeah. So that's a long time between 800 A.D. and now. So between Christ and the first stigmata was that distance in time. Well, actually, it was further from Christ than it is from us. <laughs> yes, it is. That's what I'm pointing. Yes, it's further. It's closer to us. And so there's this article. On, I'm not going to read all of this, but he began to contemplate the this fellow named uh, Francis of Assisi. A noted ascetic and holy man that was in a retreat in Italy. And this is St. Francis of Assisi now, according to the Catholic Church. I don't believe he's a saint any more than I'm a saint. If he's a, if he was a Christian, he was a saint. But anyway, that's another thing. He began. Here's the quote. He began to contemplate the passion of Christ and his ver, ver, fervor grew so strong within him that he became wholly transformed into Jesus through love and compassion. I find no basis whatsoever in Scripture that our emotions and fervor can transform us into Jesus. Uh, while he was thus inflamed, he saw a seraph with six shining fiery wings descending from heaven. The seraph drew near to St. Francis in swift flight so that he could not he could see him clearly and recognize that he had the form of a man crucified. After a long period of secret conversation, this mysterious vision faded leaving in his body a wonderful image and imprint of the passion of Christ. For in the hands and feet of St. Francis 
forthwith began to appear the marks of the nails in the same manner as he had seen them in the body of Jesus crucified. So it, it's 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 strange to me. I, I I do believe God reacts to emotion, but not in that way. There there are many of the kings in the Old Testament that, and I think of Josiah as one, and I can't remember exactly where this account is, but Josiah, when he realized that they had not been keeping the law and had totally forgotten what God had promised them and what they had committed to, uh, basically was um, reacted emotionally, tore his clothes, and humbled himself before God. And God answered him. He didn't. He didn't get. But he had to go to a prophet to uh, to get an answer. Uh, he didn't bestow miraculous visions or anything right there on Josiah. And that happens. I think several times in the Old Testament. But um, I keep coming back to this. Uh, you were talking about Mark earlier as being one of the simpler. Mark 2, uh, beginning in about verse 3, it says, uh, Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, and so when they had broken through, they left the bed down on which the paralytic was laying. And Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they were right about that, I believe. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were reasoning thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose up. So, again, purpose explained right there in the account. Right. Well, I... I cannot uh, recommend that anyone put confidence in some kind of a miracle like this because I don't think that there is verification that this actually was a miracle. And it certainly isn't a biblical miracle. In fact, the point of the verse that you read a little while ago, Gary, from John chapter 20, is, is that he wrote those of all the miracles Jesus did, he wrote those miracles because he thought they were enough for us to believe. I write these that you may believe. Which are not, there are many which were not written. That's right, he left out a bunch of others because he didn't think that they were necessary to us for us to be a believer with knowing those. So uh, this idea that the only way you can really be a true believer is if God does some personal miracle to you is simply not a biblical idea. He left the scriptures as a testimony, and they've been... And, and the notary stamp on the scriptures is the miracles done by the apostles and others that were witnessed by the people then. Right. That becomes the stamp of the stamp of notarization, as it were, authenticity of the yeah. words that was the apostle spoke. The authentication of what he did and what he said. And this is why Paul in First Corinthians thirteen. By the, in that same vicinity of the ones where he talked about the spirit of the prophets is under the control of the prophets. He says that there is a time coming when the gifts are going to cease. They're going to fade away. They're going to cease because that which is perfect had come. 
well, that which is perfect is not Christ. That's in the neuter sense. Christ is he who is perfect. And the word perfect there doesn't mean perfect as in sinless. It means complete. The context shows he's talking about them receiving revelations piece by piece, this apostle, that apostle, this writer. And when that was done, when all the pieces were in place, then the piecemeal method of revealing it, that which is in part, he says, will be done away. So this piecemeal method of them receiving these spiritual gifts and having to have miracles to confirm them. Now, then you also have the other evidence from the book of Acts where the apostles gift the gift the gift of the Holy Spirit to do miracles was given from the apostles hands to other people. But it was only given through the apostles hands. And that's why they had to send for Peter to get this gift, because other people could not pass this gift along. Now, people today say that you can receive, that you can get the gift of miracles by somebody else laying on of hands, uh, laying on their hands. But that simply is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that this gift is given through the laying on the apostles' hands. And when that was done, when the apostles were all gone, then there isn't anyone else to give the gift to you. Okay, let me find that verse uh, in 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 Acts chapter eight. Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles hands, the holy gift, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so they wouldn't do it in this case. And because they had that power and only they had it wasn't something that Simon got. And somebody if somebody else could have given it to Simon, there were other people upon whom he was laying hands. If he thought he could get it from one of the other people, he wouldn't have had to ask the apostles. But it's obvious it came through them. And so and there's another passage in Acts 19 where they had to call an apostle because they needed this gift. And so. Uh, this shows that the gift of miracles was given to the apostles for the apostles and those upon whom they directly laid their hands, which would last a generation or so, about the same time it was taking them to compile the New Testament. I'm trying to get that point out. So during that period of time, when the New Testament was, Testament was being compiled and written, then there was these there were these gifts of miracles, of revelations, of tongues, of signs, and so forth. But when that period of time was over and the New Testament was revealed, when that which was full or complete or perfect had come, the revealing of things in part, along with the signs, would disappear. But the Catholic Church is built upon this continuous... All right, let me start over. Let me go back. <laughs> the Catholic Church is built upon men. Now, I want you... You, you, oh, that's a slander. No, it's not. I want you to think because that's exactly that's exactly what the Catholic Church will tell you. The Catholic Church is built, and they say if you if you look in the Catechism, it says very plainly. The question is asked: Is the Bible sufficient to guide us in faith and knowledge? And the, in bold answer in the Catechisms that I have, and I have several, the answer is no. The Bible is not sufficient as a guide for us. It takes both the Bible and tradition. 
Well, let me ask you something. Where does tradition come from? Who's in charge of tradition? Yes, it comes from men. It comes from the Pope, the Holy See, the Council of the Bishops, and so forth and so on. And that body of writings and things passed down, that's what tradition means, things that are handed down, was written by human beings. And even today, the whole premise of the Catholic Church, and I'm not slandering, I'm telling you what they teach, is that you can only receive the grace of Jesus Christ through the, the clergy of the Catholic Church. Grace is dispensed through the clergy by means of the Mass and the other uh, other elements of grace, uh, the, the, the uh, what are they called? Um, sacraments. Right. I'm sorry, my mind was stuck on the word grace. It was the, It's dispensed through the sacraments. And that the clergy, human beings, have to pass that gift to you to receive any blessing from forgiveness or from the Lord's Supper or, or communion, or extreme unction, whatever, the, whatever the, the sacrament is, you can only receive this grace through human agency. You can't receive it by reading the Bible or understanding from God himself. You got to receive So when I say the Catholic Church is built upon men, that's what I mean. And so they, they are the ones that have propagated this idea of continuing miracles on down through time. It's, it's ironic, Gary, that the biggest uh, group that began to comprise Pentecostal churches and charismatics, especially in the United States, well, that's really true all around the world, the, the charismatic movement began to grow tremendously in the 19th and 20th centuries. And, and you know where the source of that growth was? It was from, Catholic, from former Catholics. Doesn't surprise me, because that religion itself is also built on the Holy Spirit giving gifts to men, human beings, and then they pass these gifts along. And so there's a very close relationship in thinking or theology between charismatic churches and the Catholic Church. Although on the outside, one seems very emotional and full of life, and the other one seems seems dead as a doornail. I don't think that's in the Bible, but it's an expression I use. Dead as a doornail. But they're very closely related because they both appear, they both depend upon the agency of men passing along these miraculous gifts. That's scientific terms for being dead. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the scientific term for being dead. Dead is a doornail. That's well, the, I, I wanted that's to point the, out... I'm not a biologist, but I do understand that. Go ahead. I wanted to point out that you, you referred to uh, the Corinthian letter in which it says these things are going to pass away. It's also in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 13. And he refers to this specific time, the time of Christ, in, I think it starts in verse 1, it says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Well, what is that? That's the gospel. And he says, It shall be in that day, this is verse 2 of Zechariah 13, that the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered, and I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live, because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. These people that are doing these things, according to the Old Testament, are speaking lies in the name of the Lord. As at least that's what I get out of this passage. And he's he's saying this this is this time's going to end. This this, this going time's to end. going to end. Those prof he refers to the prophets as the ones who are exercising these gifts. Well, you just made yourself, Gary, a cessationist. Did you know that? Oh, oh, really? That that's that's what the religious term for someone who does not believe 
in modern gifts of the Holy Spirit is called a cessationist who they believe that these gifts would cease. Now, I don't, I don't know how a lot of Christians it. are like that. They just don't know it. You know, it's more popular to believe that the gifts uh, are still continuing. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit uh, reveals things to us today through his word. But he doesn't miraculously teach us things or illuminate us. If the Holy Spirit, if people being sincere and loving God gives them the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit tells them what they should believe. The Holy Spirit is a very contradictory being then, because I've known lots of so-called sincere people, and I believe that they were, who believed completely opposite things about all different kinds of Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is not illuminating anybody today in a miraculous way. That illumination occurs when you read the Word, like Paul says in Ephesians 3, when you read what I've written, you can understand my knowledge of the mystery. So you can you need to read what what the Holy Spirit left for Paul and the apostles, and then you can come to understanding of that. That's how it's done, not through some praying and and letting God direct your heart at breakfast so you know what you're supposed to do today and let God interpret these passages for you as you read them. That that's just self indulgence. You see, you need to you you need to understand the passages. God's left you the words. He left it for you. He gave you the knowledge and the will and the ability and the opportunity to learn what words mean and how to use them. You have to look at the and honestly in your heart and what the words mean and then do something about it. Um, this is what the Bible teaches about how we receive revelation here in the 21st century. Something else I want to mention, and Jer- Jerry, I really appreciate your question. It's a very interesting question. I think you could go to several places. Oh, by the way, let me just before I go to that. There's a uh, that isn't it either. I just got rid of it. Oh boy. Well, I, I was going to go to Jude three. There, there was just. Uh, I was going to give him the article I just closed. Um, there's they, a there's an article in the Smithsonian Magazine. The Smithsonian Magazine has an article on the mystery of the five wounds, which is a historical analysis of the stigmata. Now, it's not particularly a religious article, but it gives you a good background, Jerry, on this subject of the stigmata. From what I can see, the Smithsonian Magazine, The Mystery of the Five Wounds. So anyway, I'm not going to go over the article, but look that up. And you got a passage, then I've got a passage I want to talk about, Gary. Go ahead. Well, I was going to talk about Jude 3. It just says, Beloved, uh, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found that it was necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Right. There's not a continuing deliverance of this going on. It was delivered once for us all. That's a very particular word in Greek, the word for once there. And that's why it's translated. It's really the phrase once for all is coming out of one Greek word. There aren't three words there because all is the word pan or pass in Greek. I don't think that's there. Once for all is hapax. It means a one-time event. And it's used several times in the Bible. Christ died once for the sins of the world. He's not offered up every time the Catholic Church offers up a mass. Christ is not crucified again. The Bible says he died once for all time is the idea, for eternity. And so that passage there, that the word was was delivered once, meaning in, in one period of time, it's not continually being revealed down to the present age. I think it's a very powerful verse, just like you said, 
about this. The other thing that I want you to consider about this and I, whole subject of these kinds of emotional signs like the stigmata and people get very emotional around this time of year. There are people in the Philippines, other countries that are preparing to be crucified. They'll lay down on a piece of wood, have people drive nails through their hands and hang them up on a cross and so forth. That's that's been done through history in different ways of people being crucified. In fact, the first time people began that article, the Smithsonian mentions a young man that came and had these wounds in his body. He didn't call them the stigmata, but when they examined this young man, he claimed to be Christ. He himself had been, it was Christ. Christ was living in him, and so therefore he was Christ. And they found these wounds. They think he had crucified himself or had someone do it to him. But anyway, here's what Paul says about this kind of thing. In Colossians chapter 2. So read with me. It isn't it is. It's a, a verse that needs a little explanation as it go along. But I want you to think through this with me. And hopefully you can see what I'm saying. The verse Colossians two, beginning in verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ, which they had from the basic principles of the world. Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations or to ordinances? Why, why, if you died with Christ from all these worldly ideas, worldly things, human things, why are you subjecting yourself to these regulations? That word, I, I, interesting enough, the word regulations there, Gary, is dogma, dogmatizo, the dogmas of the world. So here the people have made regulations. And he, he gives examples. Then he says, verse 21, such as do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. These are commands that have been given by humans as human regulations. They're not coming from God, which all concern things which perish with the using. They are according to the commandments and doctrines of men. That's how I know these are from men. This statement, do not touch, comes from humans. This statement, do not taste, don't eat meat, don't eat this kind of food, don't do this, do not handle, you know. Well, verse 16 and the following verses set the context. He said, let no one judge you in food or drink or recording festival or new moons or Sabbaths. Yes. Or which shadow, which are shadows of the things to come. But the substance is Christ. I didn't go back, but they were they were going back to the old law. These Colossians were some of them were and finding these ordinances in the Old Testament like people do today. And they were making laws about them and bringing them over to Christ's side and making laws that Christ said these things. And he didn't. And so he says, these things have an indeed an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, in false humility, and neglect of the body. They hurt the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So people like St. Francis of Assisi and these other people who have the stigmata, they think that by being an ascetic and being a monk and denying themselves, the one woman would only eat communion bread and wine. That was what she did for her whole life. So she could be holy like Christ, and she ex- exhibited the stigmata. They they deny themselves all these physical things, none of which Christ commanded at all that you do. But they deny them, and they think that somehow this is going to make them a holy person. So if you don't eat meat on Friday, or if you're a vegetarian, or whatever other thing you may restrict yourself of as a Christian, 
if you make it up for yourself, if you make up that rule yourself, then it looks like you're being hard on the body. And so we have this idea that the, the more strict you are in Christianity, the more the more pious you are. And, and so the ones who are showing the most piety are the ones who have hurt their body literally by being crucified on a cross on the ground in the Philippines. These are the holy people. Or they're exhibiting these emotional signs of denial and withdrawal from society, and they're bleeding and so forth. That somehow we think these are the holy people. Paul right here is saying, Gary, that that is simply not true. That well, those kinds of human commands and following those commands is of no value against what's really the problem, which is the flesh, your desire to do your own thing. You're just, imp he calls it self-imposed religion. You're just imposing your own will and calling it Christ's will. Who well, makes up this stuff? Well, even related to the Catholic Church, I think verse 18 in the same Colossians 2, he says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Yeah, and things which he's seen. Yeah, th yeah. this is a this is this whole kind of religion that that uh, that people puff up their own what they think they want rather than rather than trying to obey the commands. Of the, now, there there are some things that I'm as a married man, I cannot touch and taste and handle. With regard to other wife. women, somebody else's wife, for example, but that command did not come from men; that came from God, all right, and so forth and so on. So there are regulations in Christianity, but they must come from God through the Scriptures. That's why we keep emphasizing that, as opposed to what a, what some religious authority makes up or what some person makes up to become holy. Now this is this has an effect not only in the religious world. Gary, you've probably heard me talk about this before, but I think it's affecting the secular world as well. As we move away from a biblical morality, where we're, human beings cannot live without some moral uh, regulations, and so we've created an alternate morality that involves food and drink, for example, that fat is bad for you. You, you know what part of the sacrifice God demanded that the Israelites leave for? For him, the fat, the fat, because it was the best part uh, and things like that. So and, and not eating meat, not eating fat, uh, recycling. You know, we, we have all of these dogmas. And so people ha there's a thing called orthorexia, ortho meaning straight and rexia meaning the appetite. And so orthorexia is a psychological disorder that's being studied because it's getting more and more prominent of people who are in who are caught up in right living, straight eating, I should say, straight eating. And so therefore, the more restrictive they get, the studies show, the better they feel about themselves, the more the more holy they feel. They're, they're better than you because you eat artificial butter and they don't eat anything like that. You don't eat this kind of meat. And you, your hamburger is always 20% fat and not 30% fat. And so they get more and more strict on themselves. And then they begin to judge others who don't live as strictly as they do by their dietary rules. And, and, and that's one aspect of this. This is going on in the modern world right now. It's a form of the stigmata. It's a form of an attempt to be holy through physical means, which God never authorized or ordained in the scriptures. I would advise you, if you want to be holy, take a look at what the New Testament says you should live and be like. Follow, become a Christian. Have your sins washed away through baptism. Start over, be clean, and then follow Christ's commands. 
pray and, and have him show you through the word what you need to correct and do. And so this is the way you become, as it were, set apart for Christ, not by making up your own rules and, and creating your own kind of miracles. Uh, so the whole thing is misdirected. Probably good people, well-intentioned people, so don't get me wrong about that, but I still can't recommend this way as the true way of godly religion to follow this kind of path and put confidence in these stigmata or other things. Don't put any confidence in this. Uh, this is not the sign that God gave. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, no, I you was, want to say I, I'm, I'm looking up something I wanted to well, we got about three minutes left, and, and so I, I sorry I'm rambling on there, but this is a subject – that affects both people that are Christians and people that are not Christians. Everybody, oh, so many different, I shouldn't say everybody, people try to figure out how to be righteous, as it were, in their own terms. And so we make up, this is what's going on in what we call cancel culture, well, partly. It's I'll, an attempt to be, to create a righteousness that's not based in biblical morality. One, one more thought. All right, I, go ahead. I want to go back to 1 John chapter 4, and I'm, uh -huh. I'm talking to Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The question is, Mike, how do you test the spirits? You test what they right. say against the word of God. Right. Test or try or put, put, to, put the to the test. That's right. We need to test what we're being told against the word of God. And and, and I, I, I can't emphasize that more. It's it's It's... I don't know how to say it more forcefully. That's right. Well, thank you. You know, we, uh, I just want to mention a couple of things. First of all, uh, John texted in a question just, just as we began from Daniel 324. Well, it's really about a lot of people think that the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was Jesus or and so forth, God, sons of the, the council of the gods. I, I was going to talk about that, and we never got to it. But there is this thing called the Council of the Gods that some people believe. And I'm even get to that. If I can possibly remember, John, next week, we'll try to talk about that. Yeah, well, that's a good that's a good question. Uh, yes, and we've we've hit on it before. And then we got a then we got a uh, text from Jason, uh, and he says it's speaking of the Bible. Uh, it's actually a whole book, which is right. The whole Bible is the word Bible just means book in Greek. The book. It's the book, yeah. right? But it's a collection of books. And they're written in different styles, and so and he would like to have the the article. So I'll I'll be glad to email you uh, the the link to the article, Jason. As soon as I get I, after I get done here, I got to teach a Bible class and preach a sermon, and and then by that time I'll be hungry. I got to eat lunch. So <laughs> if you don't hear back from me this afternoon, text me back. It's best I can tell you, because uh, you know sometimes the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak by one o'clock. So and in any event. <laughs> I just got one more Galatians. Go ahead. One, one got more. about oh, we only got 30 seconds, Jerry. Uh, Gary, Galatians one, six through 10. Go right. read it. All right. Galatians. Yes. In other words, don't let don't believe what angels tell you. Don't believe, believe what, what the word says. That's if, right. If they say something other than what Paul said, don't believe. Them. Yes. We really appreciate you listening today and especially the calls and the text. It helps the show a lot. We really enjoy it. Hope that you got something out of it. We keep pointing you back to the Bible. And that's what we'd like to take, have you take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look there. You'll find lots of resources, recordings, podcasts, things like that. We'd also like to invite you to come and be with us this morning, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. We meet at 10 and 11 and 730 Wednesday. Thanks for listening. 
May God bless you and tune in again next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.